Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 305, and this week at Entree Architect Podcast, how a powerful brand and a strong team culture leads to a thriving architecture firm with Eco House founder, architect Elizabeth Carmichael. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all free at RCAT.com. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. And Gusto. Easy online payroll, benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses just like ours. Elizabeth Carmichael, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for being here. Let me tell uh, our listeners a little bit about you. Elizabeth Carmichael is an architect based in San Diego, California, and is founder of EcoHouse. EcoHouse is an architecture firm whose concern for a building's impact on the environment and the people occupying it is at the forefront of their design practice, providing a resource for people to learn about and experience green building. Elizabeth has organized and conducts a program called EcoLabs as a hands-on approach to educating the public on implementing sustainable practices, and she serves on the board of directors for San Diego Green Building Council and is on the path to an MBA in sustainable business. So you're going for it all in. I love it. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so Elizabeth, I shared a little bit about who you are and what EcoHouse is doing, um, but let's let's dive a little bit deeper. Let's go into your origin story. Just um, share the story from where you discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect, and tell us that journey from there to where you find yourself today. Sure. So I actually, growing up, had moved around quite a bit. And uh, just my dad got you know, transferred from different plant to plant. He was in manufacturing. And so we moved around. And by moving around, we ended up looking at a lot of houses every year when we moved. So uh, at one point, I think I was maybe 12, and my parents bought a house that was not quite finished. Um, so working with the contractor and, you know, 
uh, my parents kind of kept us in the room. We got to hear everything that was going on and uh, I saw floor plans and things like that. And I think that really kind of piqued my interest. Um, then I would see, you know, kind of the floor plan magazines at the grocery store and would get those and started drawing my own kind of, you know, imaginary places as a kid and uh, didn't really once when I started to think about college, I um, just kind of went for engineering. My dad was an engineer and uh, I think he kind of pushed me in that direction. But I kind of realized that where my heart was, was architecture. So how I, you know, kind of went through the normal, worked at different firms throughout my career, and then had an opportunity to, uh, do a couple projects, small projects for people I knew, and then came across um, working with another person in San Diego and kind of getting, again, these smaller projects and just ended up at one point having enough under my belt to um, quit my job and go on my own. Uh, the sustainability has always been a passion of mine and really i think growing up in new england in nature and um kind of having that culture that's there of uh you know the kids i grew up with had parents who had gone to woodstock and they were protesting the nuclear power plant and things like that so it actually had my eyes open to just you know recycling and kind of the basic things that you learn as a young person, uh, but then the impact of it and through education, learning the impact that the buildings have on our environment was where, okay, this is what I do. So I need to be as responsible as possible and push, you know, push the envelope to get clients. And, uh, a lot of my clients are developers. So to try to get them to, um, go and be as sustainable as possible. And I, I've found that throughout the years, it's actually getting easier that clients and developers both, I think just because of the overall awareness uh, now want to do sustainability. Yeah, I so think it's, it's become part of our culture that people are starting yeah. to pay attention and starting to realize that it's important. Uh, you right. you so hear it at I every have, level. Yeah, so now I have clients who come to me and say, I want to make my house as sustainable as possible, how do I do that? Which before it was more like, you should make your house sustainable. So it has the conversation has completely flipped, which is just a wonderful, absolutely wonderful thing. Was it was the um, the idea of launching eco house. So that's clearly a sustainable architecture firm right from the name. Right. Um, right. Was that intentional from day one? Was it eco house right from the beginning? Yes. Yes. It so was. that was a strategic uh, decision. Correct. Correct. Yes. And uh, came up with Eco House. Later came up with the Habitats of Urban Sustainable Experiences as our kind of the acronym for our our company name. Uh, and that was through because we are in an urban environment and um, we don't just do homes. We do a lot of infill. We do a lot of multifamily and mixed use. And so there is a urban sustainable experience that we are trying to create and let the occupants and the users of our structures, you know, know that they're in a sustainable building. So you've built a strong brand around EcoHouse. Do you, do you, when you decided that, was there any fear in uh, sort of quote unquote, pigeonholing yourself to sustainable architecture and sort of letting all the rest of the architecture go to someone else? Not necessarily. It was what I wanted to do. I kind of have always had the feeling that there's enough work to go around. Um, I mean, maybe that's because of the city that I'm in, but, uh, you know, I think there's, I, I feel that everyone can do that. It doesn't mean you have to turn down projects that aren't necessarily in your wheelhouse, but um, but it does attract those type of clients. Right, so you're an expert, you know, right from the beginning when people are looking for projects that that they want to build as a sustainable project, 
and they're looking at a list of architects, and one of those architects is named EcoHouse, um, you're probably on the short list right from day one. Right. Yeah. You. It. It. You know, the name is somewhat a magnet for the type of clients that we want. So tell me the history about EcoHouse. How did it start, and and sort of how did you build it, and when when did when did you start the firm? So we started pretty much right after the crash of uh, in 2008. Um, had, you know, I had another firm before that with a partner and um, who wasn't really as interested in sustainability. And so uh, with the downfall of work at that point um, with the real estate market, uh, it kind of made me, you know, I was working on my own at that point and I wanted to refocus and, um, you know, have actual control of, over what the projects were and the type of clients we were getting. So that was kind of what spawned it. I, I actually quite honestly meditated on what my name should be and, and it came into my brain. Yeah. I love that. The, uh, and, and that's, you know, I, I, we can go into a whole other path of meditation because I, <laughs> right. I, I completely agree with you. I think that meditation is super powerful because it brings the thoughts that are in your head already right to the forefront that you don't even realize are there. They're just sitting there waiting to be discovered. And if you don't... Yeah, it kind of gives you a clear plate to find those. Yeah, things. if you don't sort of quiet down the noise in order to find those little you know nuggets that are floating around in your brain, uh, you never find them because there's always just too much activity and too much noise. Um, so, so the, so the brand of EcoHouse was, was strategic. So, so, and you came right out of the, um, the downturn of the economy, the recession. And, and so that gave you an opportunity to sort of rethink how you're going to design and build your own firm. We just recently spoke to other architect, another architect that the same thing happened, um, and totally rebuilt his firm in the way that he wanted that firm to, to and today is thriving because of those decisions that he made in, in right. it learning was from the It was definitely a blessing in disguise to have, you know, have that unfortunate economy at that time. But it, um, you know, the bubble had burst in San Diego. And so every, I had probably the day that stock market crashed, I had like eight projects put on hold. So it was a whoa moment. And, and exactly how do you how do we rebuild it to be you know the real firm that that I wanted so was it is it was was ecohouse purely a brand new firm or was it an evolution of the old firm it was a brand it was a brand new firm although i did have some projects still you know lingering from from the old firm but i had completely separated from my old partner and uh we just went our separate ways and um yeah it was actually immediately pretty much you know as the economy picked back up pretty much immediately started having better bigger and better projects so um it definitely was the right decision for me and did you have employees right right from the beginning no i didn't i had just myself at first and uh had a friend of mine um who i'd worked with at a previous firm help me out a little bit on one project um, and then I did hire hire someone, and we were uh, working right out of my living room. Um, we had, for a while, actually converted our living room to an office and moved our couch into the dining room that was attached to the kitchen. And then, of course, got an office. But, uh, yeah, kept it small at first and uh, worked with one of the – when I had meetings or uh, conferences, I – there's quite a few different co-op um, office type businesses around here where you can easily rent a conference room. And um, so that's what I did. And it, and it worked for a while. And, and so the, what, what type of marketing did you do early on? How did those early projects uh, find their way to you? So I would get a lot of um, word of mouth, mainly through realtors and contractors. I think those, even now to this day, realtors and contractors, I think are the biggest referrals I get. What are you doing to cultivate that? How are you making that happen? So I, a lot of times I reach out to um, realtors that are in kind of the 
sub neighborhoods of where I have current projects. Um, also just kind of networking and, and going to other events where there's realtors I know at, and typically there's other realtors there as well. And so you network with them. You, yeah, you, network. you, you intentionally reach out to them. You go to where mm-hmm. they are. Um, how right. are you doing with the contractors just through projects that you're, you're doing contractors and building relationships that way? Been through pro- yeah. Through projects that I've, I had with them previously. Um, not so much reaching out to contractors. I don't know, but, uh, contractors that I had previously worked with are often good base of referrals. Is your work still majority referral? I would say that also we do, um, uh, have like the typical job site signs out that I'll get calls off of, um, especially in the neighborhoods where it's uh, infill neighborhood, uh, people who own property and see what's going on around them. Um, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you also have neighborhoods who don't like what's going on around them as well. But, uh, you know, people who realize they are in a multifamily neighborhood and their their property is underdeveloped uh they see they see our job site side in their neighborhood and then reach out to us so the brand is doing its job there as well yeah yep yeah so they see the sign they see the name of the firm and they sell right that's exactly what we're looking for yep so how is your firm structured today how many people do you have working with you today so right now we have five five people um I had, like I said, I had gone up to eight, but I feel like right now where we have it is a good group for us. Um, It's controllable and, uh, you know, can have everyone is is good, responsible um, people who take care of their own work. And uh, I feel it's a good group without, um, you know, we'll probably slowly grow, but I don't want to, take on too much and then have it where, you know, you don't really know what's going on. Is, is the firm more ver- feeling in the past? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. As your firm more horizontal or more vertical, are you doing the work and then passing it down to others or, or are there multiple project managers running their own firm, their own projects? So we have uh, project coordinators. I have a senior project manager that I say would be, you know, closer to what I do without dealing with you know, deals less with the business side of it, um, but helps me manage the projects, helps me manage the project coordinators, setting deadlines, making sure everything gets done on time um, and within budget. And, you know, has uh, she has actually set up Excel sheets that have amazed me that help us really look at, you know, analyzing projects and uh, making sure everything's done how it's supposed to. So yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, we have the, I try to have a real team culture and, you know, we have maybe initial design, but then we'll always have a design lab where everyone in the company gets to kind of put their feet in to the design. And I like that. I feel like I have, you know, I have a, a younger group of staff that are more recently out of school and have maybe fresher ideas than my stale brain sometimes does. So I encourage them to, you know, give me their wild kind of crazy ideas. And of course I may dream kill a little bit, but I, you know, how do we make those ideas into, um, into a real reality part of the project? And I think it's important that everyone kind of feels like, the projects are their baby also, not just my baby. Um, And, you know, have a real pride in the project, whether they are kind of spearheading it or they just had worked on it a little bit. So is every project set up that way? Yes. So the project comes in, the project coordinator is assigned that project and then they sort of manage that process. But during that process, the entire firm is involved in some of the preliminary design work? Well, so we'll do a, we'll do kind of a preliminary design to really get, you know, the building envelope yeah. and um, not waste everyone's time, but 
once that's kind of honed in uh, and it's kind of to a real rough schematic level, uh, we have, you know, kind of like the old school design charrette and right. everyone comes to the table. We pull the markers out. We make, you know, scribble and make Picassos and, uh, and um, just kind of brainstorm and, uh, you know, come up with concepts, come up with ideas and, um, and throw plenty of ideas out, but, you know, try to, try to encourage bold, creative ideas during that process. And, uh, and then at that point, we're going to take kind of the best of all of it and um, create a cohesive design. And then that same project coordinator will continue with the project. And so that's not only creating better projects, it's creating a culture of, of a team, right? So that's reinforcing the, the team. Are you doing other things in the firm that is also encouraging that team culture? Yeah, that's really what I've tried to do it is so much because I really don't want to have anyone feel like uh, they're coming to work and it's a job. You know, I want it to feel like it's really their company as well as mine. Um, so yeah, we do like the eco labs that we do, um, we do them in house for each other where we educate each other. And then we also do them where we bring, you know, the public in as well. And so we work as a team to create those for the public. What, what is an eco lab? Um, How does that work? One team member. So like our, for instance, our last one we did was, um, horticulture of urban sustainable experiences. And so we worked with um, uh, a person who's head of the new plants at a local nursery. And uh, our, our idea was the, that lab was to um, basically have, you know, someone wants a tropical landscape, someone wants an English garden landscape. How do you do that in uh, where it's very important for where we live to have them in drought tolerant native um, plants. So how do you create a tropical landscape with drought tolerant plants? And, um, and so we had that, we had the public come in. Um, she also did kind of a, a um, kind of an interactive uh, learning lesson where, there was pictures of plants. People were trying to match them to uh, the actual plants that are there. And then we did, during the holidays, we did kind of a, a um, you take the succulents and reuse a, bring in a, bring in a pot or something to reuse or, um, you know, different items people brought in and make, basically make a holiday succulent type garden uh, that you can give to someone. So some of them are a little more beginner level and yeah. others are a little more in depth. Um, we had uh, one about LED lighting that definitely was, you know, probably a little more advanced one. We have uh, two of my staff kind of fo focused on um, or mitered in um, neurological uh focus on architecture. And so they are coming up with their own eco lab about that. Wow, so that I'll be interested good. to see what they come up with yeah. for that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's trying to bring them and, and into being their own leaders as well. Yeah. So those eco labs sound very powerful because they're not only, um, bringing your team together and sort of helping to, uh, consolidate some of the knowledge base that's in your firm because you know uh, they they have to document what they're going to present so you have that in a written format are you are you recording those as well we are yeah and and we've even done like little powerpoints for them and yeah. things like that so yeah and it's also yeah. great marketing because it's, it's it's a way right. to reach out to the community right. and and give back and they that reinforces the brand of eco house and also, I mean, when I do the eco labs for the public, I reach out to local TV stations and they're always welcoming to have you on to promote events because they need material as well. Right, right. That's fantastic. 
We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. If you work with specifications in your firm, you probably have come across outdated manufacturer specs with confusing notes, products that no longer exist, or even maybe even companies that no longer exist. Maybe you even pay for specifications. Stop. Stop right now. There's a better way to find manufacturer specifications for your project documentation. RCAT. RCAT.com. RCAT is the number one most used website for finding building product information and has a free library of over 1,400 up-to-date accurate specifications written by FCSI, CCS, and AIA professionals based on manufacturers' data. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right specifications for your project and quickly download them in multiple formats for free. That's right, RCAT is completely free. You don't even need to register. Just go to RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. RCAT.com. And start building better content today. Do you remember when you started your architecture firm? Well, maybe you're in the middle of that right now. Maybe you are in the middle of launching your architecture firm. It's not easy, is it? It takes lots of late nights, early mornings, and maybe even the occasional all-nighter. Well, we are crazy busy, so why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like us. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds, and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. Yep, tax time's coming up. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business, so you'll always have the tools that you need when you need them, without ever having to learn the ins and the outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free. Free for 30 days, no catch, no credit card. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter entrearchitect in the how did you hear about us section. To get started, visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. What do you think of when you hear the words payroll, and benefits. Payroll and benefits. Does that make your skin crawl? Does it make your spine tingle? Payroll and benefits are hard. It's okay. It's hard, especially when you're a small business like us. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. A couple of more words that might make your skin crawl. And old school payroll providers just aren't built for the way that we're working today. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does all the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. To help support the show, the Entree Architect podcast, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free. Once you run your first payroll, just go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto to claim your free three months of payroll processing. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto for three months free. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. With the idea of building this team where you said that you, you'd like them to feel a sense of ownership, um, where is the, the line in your, in your mind as the owner, as the leader, of where that ends? Because I've, I've found in my own experience and from listening to some other architects that encourage that. You, know, you want this firm where you have a culture of a sort of a family um, and that everybody feels that they're in it for for um, the 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 mission of the firm, um, and they take ownership in that. But then there's also a certain level where you, as a as a leader, as the firm right. owner, need to make some decisions 
that may not involve them or may be counter to what they want. How do you find that 100%. line and how do you handle that situation? I, I think the best um, way to handle that is to kind of go about the, cause that definitely does come up is how do you, um, like I, I say, you know, I have ultimate veto power, but without making it feel that way, right, <laughs> basically, right. um, is, and, and I go about it by giving kind of the reasoning and explanation of why something needs to be that way. Um, rather than just saying it has to be done. Um, for example, uh, giving, you know, we're doing something and the reason why is because of X, Y, Z experience that we had. And, um, you know, this is why we need to do it this way. It's more of an explanation and reasoning also gives them the opportunity. Maybe they have an idea that, um, because, you know, it's a workaround. Okay. This is why we're doing it this way, but, and, you know, they want, have a design in, in mind. And so how can we, you know, work around the, the problem that I see that maybe they have a solution for that I don't see. Right. Right. Cause, cause that goes both ways, right? That, that, right. that sometimes you have ultimate veto power, but sometimes mm-hmm. they have an idea that exactly. may go counter to what you've always done. And right. It, to have a culture and a sense as a leader to be open to those ideas and embrace yep. them and say, well, let me look at what you're talking about because maybe it'll make the firm better. That's really right. important. I actually experienced that myself as a young architect. And I'm sure many firms feel that with, with more established, more experienced uh, firm owners where the younger generation comes in with ideas. And if you're open to those, sometimes those ideas right. transform your firm. And when you're close to those ideas, those opportunities exactly. are lost because you've never even given the opportunity for to hear them. Um, and I right. was that young architect once bringing an idea to a firm and was shut down. And it was just like, go back to work. <laughs> you know, go right. back to your drafting board and keep drawing because I don't need yeah. to hear what you're saying. And, and they never even looked at it. Um, right. And that's very frustrating. Not only, even if it's a terrible idea, if you shut that idea down before it's even explored, you just you just crushed the the spirit of that employee, that they no longer right. feel like they're being heard, and then so you're <clears> taking a little bit away from them, and so even if it's a bad idea, you should be open to listening to it. I agree. I try not to to doubt. I try not to you know um, give bad commentary, but more encourage the the good design. Yeah, yeah. And, but but so, I think what you said before, where you're where the culture is, we're open but we're going to look at every right. idea as, as its own. And sometimes those ideas are not going to work and here's why they exactly. don't work. And so exactly. with their expectation, bringing you the idea that I know she's going to review it. I know that she's going to be open to the idea, but it may also not be what the firm needs. And I, and I can right. accept that because that's the expectation when I bring something to you. And also I think it's um, you, you want to encourage everyone to, come to you with the ideas and, um, not feel like, you know, I think, you know, being given our generation, you know, we were, I got into a firm and I just kind of put my head down and worked hard and buckled and tried to learn as much as I can. And, um, you know, kept my mouth shut most of the time. And, um, I think it's, but I think the, the people who are coming out of school now are there. They didn't grow up the same way we did. And so I think they have, um, you know, they want to have a seat at the table and um, not that we didn't, but I think we were just <laughs> trained to, yeah. to, uh, you know, trained that old school way. And, yeah. It's also um, a very different culture now, right? We, right. when, when I was in architecture school and uh, there was no internet, Right. There was, right. There, was, there was no internet. I mean, there was an internet, but there it wasn't what it is today. There was no social right. media. The social media right. hadn't yet had. Hadn't I tell yet these guys developed. the first firm I worked at. We when we had to email engineers, we had to put it on a disc, go into the <laughs> accountant's office, get on the dial-up modem, wait for it to go on, and then email the right. Drawing. Right. And so, but this current generation grew up with that. They grew up right. with uh, computers and technology and and social media and their ability to express their opinions without any resistance. 
Exactly. Right from the day yep. they were, they, they've they've grown up with the device in their hands, being able to say, sure. "This is what I feel," right? right? And it goes out there, and they get response, right? Instant response. And so, today, when they come to a firm, that's just who they are. They expect that if yeah, they're going to exactly. communicate something, they're going to get instant response. Sometimes it's negative, sometimes it's positive. That happens on the internet as well. Um, right. And so, yes, it's a very different mindset. It's it, right. they're they they think differently than the, than the prior generations. And I, and I always like to say, cause sometimes I don't even, you know, this is just a part of communication. People communicate differently. I may not understand what they're trying to say to me. So I, I say, okay, you know, show me or draw it for me. So I understand what you're trying to portray. Um, or if it's an idea that I don't necessarily like, and they are kind of really, you know, really, enamored with the idea i say okay convince me you know how how can you convince me that it's it's the best thing for the project right and so not to just totally shut it down and but you know show me how it is the better way to do it yeah so maybe it is and i'm just you know not seeing it yeah so what's the future of eco house you said that you you were at eight you came back to five, you're feeling comfortable mm-hmm. at five, but you're yeah. thinking maybe you'll grow again. So what's the future look like for Eco House? So yeah, the future, I think we do want to grow. It's just going to be kind of a, more of a slow growth. I did, I think I did too much um, fast growth and then it, like I said, it felt out of control. So uh, I think when I have these project coordinators are at a level where I feel they could manage people and I think we're going to take on more people so that we can take more projects on and not push, you know, not push projects down the schedule and then don't necessarily get them. Right. So you've built this structure within your firm that is scalable. So you have this, this team that can put together a project. And once you know that that team works and you've built systems that that team can then execute from, then it's just simply a matter of creating another you know, right. another structure of, of, uh, a team, a, another arm of the team. Right. Yeah. Just, and then you can just scale that to a certain point, And then those leaders are going to have to be managed some way. And then there's another level right. of, of management, right. but, but that's, that's uh, a great way to, to grow as they sort of build that strategic structure, build the systems that the structure work from, and then replicate that. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Exciting. That's what we're trying to do, get, get this machine as well oiled as possible. And then, um, and then duplicate it. Yeah. And slowly and, and intentionally. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Very, very interesting. Are you doing anything specifically to sort of prepare for the, the next downturn? So you don't end up in the same um, places, place as the last one? Well, so a lot of our work had somewhat shifted. Um, we've, California has gone um, and really encouraged affordable housing here because we're somewhat desperate for for housing. Uh, San Diego has really high priced living and um, it's hard for the, you know, average person to afford a, afford a house here. So we have, because we do a lot of um, apartments, the, now we're finding with the, um, the encouragement, they've really increased density bonuses um, along the transit lines. And so now projects that um, really didn't pencil out before to do affordable housing, they are penciling out. So that I feel like has um, given us somewhat a, a foot in the door for the next downturn because, because of the demand of, of housing. The, the projection is that we'll have a, another million people here by 2030. So they, they have to live somewhere and uh, we're already actually far, far under what we should be for housing stock. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a great way to prepare, um, just sort of be in a position in a market that is in demand. Right. And yeah. And, and I feel like also, um, affordable housing is a way of, uh, you know, really encouraging sustainability because, you know, as much of us can relate to when you can't pay your bills and you're, you know, trying to come up with rent, it's hard to think about being sustainable when you're, you know, worried about money or worried about other things. So you don't have the luxury to be sustainable, shall we say. 
Yeah. And so I think the more we can uh, encourage affordable housing gives those people the opportunity to to be more sustainable. And and then of course the the affordable housing that we're building, the new affordable housing is so much more um, green and sustainable products and energy systems than were in the past. Right. By code, right? California is, code, is, yeah. is the leader in sustainable codes. I mean, they're, they're requiring, you know, uh, very, very strict um, limits on, on all the different uh, aspects of, of uh, you know, green building. And so that's another benefit of having the EcoHouse brand is that as these requirements are forcing buildings to be built oh, a yeah. specific way, um, you are being perceived as someone who's been doing it that way from the beginning. Yes, the right. California is yeah. forcing us to do that, but we've been doing it all along, so we know how to do it better than anyone else. Right. Yeah, very interesting. Right. And the builders are somewhat get shocked every time the code changes yeah. To, yeah. to know, okay, well, what are we doing now? So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm hearing a lot of architect California architects who are also sort of scrambling to uh, to finish up projects on the old code and and starting to learn the new oh, yeah. code. And, you know that uh, you know it's a uh, it's it's tough when when the code can, changes every three years. Uh, you sort of have yeah. to rebuild your systems all over again because your old systems were based on old code. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's it. I feel like it's um, the code finally is catching up with what is necessary right you know we have 20, 2020 um january 1st we had the uh new net zero energy for residential come into effect in california and uh, i think it's a long time coming yeah yeah and i love that because in your case the code is catching up with you because right. you've been there all along and right. so and right. and others yep. are now trying to catch up with the code um, exactly so Elizabeth, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? So for me, what I would encourage people to do is kind of really think about um, how you relate to your staff. And, uh, you know, we have we had kind of changed our whole review process um, where it's more of a dynamic review and really talking to staff about you know, it's not just, okay, what are, what skills do you have and what do you need help training and things like that? It's more about, you know, what is making you happy in the office? What do you like or how, how can you contribute to the success? What are the values um, that, you know, we need to align with? Um, and, and then we also do, um, I also have them ask me questions during the review I have a, we have kind of a, a list of general questions that are not your typical review questions, um, but uh, they can pick from those or, or come up with their own. Um, and then we do one-on-one -on -one reviews every month where we switch. So um, we kind of all round robin, um, like I'll have a review with one staff member this month and two staff members will review each other. And it's more of, again, we pick, um, and that's just a three question review to spark conversation. So one person will pick three questions, the other person will pick three questions, and it just kind of sparks that conversation. More about, um, you know, structure and culture and, um, you know, work-life balance and things of that nature. Uh, so that we really have it where it's, you know, not just you're come like I said, you're coming to work, but you are coming to a, a culture and a support system and um, a place where you want to go to every morning. Yeah, that's very interesting. So once a month you're doing these one-on-ones. So how often are you doing your main reviews? Uh, twice a year. Twice a year. So, so bi-annually. And, mm -hmm. and are you... How are you capturing the data that's coming out of those reviews? Because those reviews are like, that's where those big ideas come from. And how, yeah, do, you, so how do you capture that? We actually are using um, Google Sheets. So we have it where, you know, everyone can access their own folder. And then when we do the one-on-ones, um, they bring up the same, the same um, sheet because I want everyone to ask different questions every time so that 
you know, maybe by the end of a year, you'll, you'll have asked, you know, 36 different questions um, to two different people on the team as well. And so sometimes it's, you know, the two project coordinators are just discussing things and they may come up and, and they have come up right. with ways to do things that are better for the company without anyone else being involved. Yeah, and, and then so you're documenting that on Google Sheets. So those, yes. the questions yes. and the answers are being recorded. And, and right, then, then, and, they have, and they have access to them as well. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I can see how you're very uh, focused on building a collaborative team and building the t- a team that feels that they have ownership because they literally are helping to build the firm. Yeah, and we do um, we do a couple charity events throughout the year too, and we just got finished with a tree of dreams for Radies Children's Hospital, where we we decorate a tree and uh, they auction it off, um, and all the proceeds go to the children's hospital. But it's that is a real team building exercise that we do every year. We come up with the theme for the tree. Um, we you know kind of towards the end of the day, work on it, where it turns into basically a madman, um, craftsman, elf workshop in here. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it's really fun. And then we have, you know, we end up, people volunteer their time to work late on these crafts and on these, on the ornaments. And um, these are very over the top trees. Um, and then we go to the the party and the, and the auction and it's a lot of fun. And, Everyone really feels like very special and kind of in the holiday spirit as well. It sounds like a, a, a great place to work. Thanks, Mark. Um, EcoHouseGreen.com. EcoHouseGreen.com is the website. Elizabeth said that she's going to be hiring soon. <laughs> <laughs> so if, it's, if you're in the San Diego area and you have some expertise in sustainable design and you're looking for a place to... Uh, to do you have some fun? Ecohousegreen.com. Uh, Elizabeth, this was this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge uh, here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks so much, Mark. Appreciate you. You've been listening to episode 305. If you'd like to access the show notes or share a link to this episode, you'll find it at entrearchitect.com slash episode 305 entrearchitect.com slash episode 305 we're growing because you're sharing so please do i would appreciate it if you haven't visited the new homepage at entrearchitect.com head over there right now because we've redesigned it for you to be more useful for small firm architects find everything you need to help you build a better business links to the podcast a search engine to find articles resources and podcast episodes super easily accessed, access all the powerful things that you need over at entrearchitect.com right from the search engine. You can even access the Entree Architect membership from the homepage. And if you're not a member yet, you need to join us. Every month we invite an expert into the membership and they present a 60 minute training webinar on the most critical topics of business leadership and life as a small firm architect. So if you're not yet a member, you can join us right now at entrearchitect.com It's all there in one place at entrearchitect.com, the blog, the podcast, the resources, and the links to join all the different memberships we have. It's waiting for you at entrearchitect.com. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. 
Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> I did it guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.